The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. As we come to Romans chapter 9, 1 through 5, we, uh, we see one, uh, we're reminded of one of the most difficult times a parent faces in life, uh, especially, or speaking of Christian parents, that uh, we dedicate them, trusting them to, to the Lord and demonstrating our desire to raise them, to trust Christ and to do all the things we can do to give them many great advantages, to point them to trust in Christ, to to try to, to, to try and fail and try and fail and to continue to keep trying to have family devotions and to pray and to teach them the scriptures and to get them in church so that they can be taught the word of God and to just try to do all that we can to set them up <clears throat> for faith in Christ. But ultimately, they have to choose to have faith in Christ. And when a child goes uh, the other way and chooses not to trust Christ, there may be no more source of grief for a parent or for a grandparent is to see their child go wayward and not to trust in Christ. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a very painful uh, feeling for parents or grandparents and who know their grandchildren have, have strayed from the faith. And, or, or maybe you're a, a child or an adult child and, and has been praying all of your life that your father or mother or grandparent would come to faith in Christ. And we know that that is a tremendous source of pain and grief in our hearts. And that's what we see going on in the text today. Paul makes this abrupt transition from chapter 8 to chapter 9. In chapter 8, he is soaring in the height of heights of the book where he is just celebrating God's faithfulness. And he says, you know, God is faithful to work every single thing for good for those who are loved by God, those who are called according to his purpose, all those who are in Christ. God promises all these things. In chapters 1 through 7, he's been just building this case of all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. They're ours in Christ. That when we put our faith in Christ... We're saved from the penalty of sin. When we, are put, when we put our faith in Christ, we're set free from the power of sin. And this life is learning to walk in freedom from sin. And he promises that one day, those who have faith in Christ will be given complete freedom from the very presence of sin. In an in a earth that's been set free from sin and bodies that have been set free from sin. And he says, how glorious it is. God is justifying the ungodly through Christ. And he sings praises about this. He's just at the height of heights at, at the end of chapter 8 that God, those whom God foreknew, he also, for, uh, he also, what's the order? What's the order? Thank you. God foreknew, he also predestined those he predestined. He also called those he called. He also justified those he justified. He also glorified. And so he's singing this glorious chain that God never fails. God will not let someone fall through the cracks. And then he gets to chapter 9, verse 1, and he has this drastic change of tone. And he says, I tell you the truth in Christ I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. 
Isn't that the way it is? That the more we realize the tremendous blessings that we have in Christ, the more grieved we are over those who are not in Christ. And that's the challenge that we're going to see, is are we grieved like Paul is grieved? But we're also going to be encouraged by what Paul says and how we see Christ answers the, the situation that we see. So let's look at Paul's grief in the first three verses. Paul's grief, he, as I just read, he says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies within me, my Holy Spirit. He's saying, man, trust me, believe me. I know this sounds, like, sounds crazy that I would say this, but I have such sorrow and grief in my heart about them that if it was possible, verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So in these verses, Paul is expressing two things. Who he is grieved over and what he is grieved about. First of all, let's look at who he is talking about. He describes them, he says, excuse me, he says, I have grief for the sake of his brethren, whom he says are his kinsmen, according to the flesh. And down in verse 34, he says, Israelites. Now to understand, let me put it simply first, then let me kind of unpack it and then go back. Hopefully it's very clear and simple. Ultimately, he's saying his fleshly brothers those who share the same race as him, and the term I'm going to use is the Jewish race. Now, he's going to call them Israelites, and we know this can be very confusing. Let me just try to confuse you and then unconfuse you. All right, so the confusing side is you've got Hebrews. We see in Genesis chapter 12, uh, 14, verse 13, Abraham is called a Hebrew. And then all over the place, we see the term Jews. And then we also see there's this term Israel. And those are all in the Bible. And then you get to our modern day and you turn on the news and you read the paper and you hear some of the same terms used in different ways. And so it can be very confusing. Is it geography, a place called Israel? Is it a people called Israel? Is that a worshiping people? Is that a spiritual people? Is that an ethnic people? Is that a race? And so it can be very confusing. And so let's just simplify this way. It may be that people have different opinions later in chapter 9, 10, and 11 of what Paul's saying. But right here, I think he's clear enough to say he's talking about physical descendants of Abraham at this point. He's saying, my brothers who also had the same descendant back to Abraham, these people have en masse rejected Jesus the Messiah. And he's grieving over these people who are physical descendants of Abraham. Abraham, the the, the Hebrew, had had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so God named him Israel. And so oftentimes the descendants of, of Abraham are referred to as the children of Israel. But that term usually takes on more of a religious connotations that come later. So that's, that's certainly acceptable to call them Israelites. But here we also know that when you follow the story of the Bible, those same people were 12 tribes, 12 tribal families. And then later they had a king, and so they became a kingdom. And that kingdom was divided, and there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. 
And just to make it confusing, that northern kingdom for a while was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Well, when Assyria came in and wiped out that northern kingdom, there was only one kingdom left, and it was the kingdom of Judah. But it wasn't just Judah. It was all the people were in that kingdom now. And so that became the term that was picked up to refer to the Jews. The, the people from Judah is where that phrase comes from. Any case, however you look at it, the Paul, Paul is carefully articulating, I'm talking about my brethren, kinsmen, according to the flesh. And so his point in this text is, he is broken hearted over his brothers and sister Jews who are ethnic, the race of the Jews. They were all descendants of Abraham. The ones that we read about in the Old Testament, all that God's interacting with them and doing for them as a, as a group of people. And he's saying they have, I am grieving, I am deeply grieving and filled with sorrow continually over these people. Now, what is his grief? What is the source of his grief? We've already said it's their unbelief. This is implied in the verse, like verse 3. He says, for I wish that I myself were accursed or anathema. He's saying they are accursed. I wish that myself could be accursed for them. He says, separated from Christ. They rejected Jesus as the Christ, which means the Messiah, the promised one who was to come. We're going to look in more detail in a minute. But he says they are separated from him. Oh, I wish that if it were possible, Paul says, that I could be separated from Christ for them. I wish I could take their curse for them. But he's, we know he can't. We know that only Christ can take the curse for a people. But he says, I wish that I could do this. And so Paul is broken hearted. He is grieving to the extent that he celebrates all that he has in by his faith in Christ. He is grieving that so many of his race, his family, his friends have rejected Christ and therefore are forfeiting all those blessings that he enjoys in Christ. And isn't that the way it is with us? That as we celebrate and are grateful and we're praying, God, thank you for this. Isn't our very next prayer request, God, please, my children, please, this friend of mine, please, Lord, show yourself to them. Oh, God, that they would come to faith. And how many grandmothers and how many mothers have prayed, Lord, if it's possible, take me and save them. Paul is grieving over the unbelief of his brothers and sisters and his extended race. Paul displays his heart is dominated by a love for God. His heart is dominated by a love for the glory of God. His heart is dominated by a love for all people to come to the glory of God, to, to see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they can be saved, set free by faith in Jesus Christ. Is that our heartbeat? Do we grieve similarly? We need to know it's not just a political issue in this political season. 
What's wrong with our country? It's not simply a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. What's wrong with our city? It's not simply an economic problem. It's a spiritual problem. The greatest need of every human being on the face of the earth is to be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The fix to our country's problem is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the passion Paul has. That's the burden Paul feels. That's the weight that is on Paul that is nearly crushing him. I pray that will be the burden of our hearts as well. This is what we see in Jesus Christ. We see the scripture says that Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's the very definition of his mission. The God who took on flesh, who took on a race, he did that. Why? To seek and to save the lost. When he looked at Israel, when he looked at Jerusalem, he looked over all these people whom Paul is weeping over. He says in Luke 13, 34, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Jesus grieves Over unbelief. Paul sounds like the Old Testament prophets who grieved over Israel's unbelief. Though they held out hope in the coming of the future Messiah. This challenges us, first of all, do we grieve over unbelief? Or are we so caught up in grieving over a political situation that we don't even see the real base of the problem? And that is a lack of faith in Christ. But I also hope to bring you comfort. We see comfort in these words in the fact that Jesus grieves with you, mom and dad and grandparents. And what has Paul told us? Paul says, that as you pray the will of God and you pray and you don't know exactly how to pray, that the Spirit of God is praying to God the Father on your behalf. He's praying with you. He's praying for you. He hears and He joins and He carries your prayers for those unbelieving loved ones. And we know that Jesus, He says, is sitting at the right hand of the Father Also interceding on their behalf, on your behalf as you pray. So don't ever stop praying and sharing the gospel with the people God has put on your heart. So that's Paul's grief. He's grieving over those he loves and of his race because they have rejected Christ. Next, we see this grief is only heightened in verses 4 through 5 by Israel's gifts. These people, his brothers, his race, this people 
had so many blessings. They had so many gifts. And all of these gifts were to tutor them, to point them to Christ, to faith in the Messiah as they waited for his arrival. Let's look at these gifts. He says them in verses 4 and 5. He says, I, I, am un, I have such grief over these brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Verse 4, who are Israelites? To whom belongs, and he's going to list seven or eight things, however you want to number them. To whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ? He says they had all these great gifts. And all these gifts were to point them to faith in the Messiah. He says, man, they were so blessed. We have been given so much to lead us to faith in the Messiah. And yet, so many reject him. And he grieves. So when he works through this list of gifts, seven or eight gifts, he's basically working through your Old Testament scriptures. And he's bringing up what we know we see in scriptures. In the scriptures, we see that Abraham... God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to do an awesome thing. I'm going to restore my glory on earth. I'm going to restore all that has been broken because of sin. I'm going to do this through your descendants, through your seed. Now, that word seed is the perfect choice for what he's doing here. Because if I told you I have seed in this closet, do I have one seed or do I have a bag of seed? You don't know. Because that word is singular and plural, seed. And that's exactly what we see God promising due to Abraham. And he means it in both ways. Through the plural descendants, the seed of Abraham, God was promising, I will do great things in the country, in the nations. The nations as Israel saw, the, as, as the nations saw Israel with God and God with Israel, they would behold the glory of God and come to faith. In God, that was the, the plan. And through that family, one particular seed, referring to the Messiah, Jesus, he would come and he would give himself as the payment for sins so that all may be reconciled to God through him. And so the story of the Bible unfolds through these various eight blessings that he mentions Abraham, Abraham's descendants had. He mentions that they came out of Israel they came out of uh, Egypt. They were bondage in Egypt. And Moses delivered them out of Egypt across the Red Sea at the mountain to come into covenant with God. And in that covenant, God gave them the laws. In the laws, you see the Ten Commandments. Not only the Ten Commandments, but you see these, all these detailed regulations for the priests on how they should behave and lead worship and have sacrifices and offer the blood of an unblemished lamb to, on the altar of God on behalf of the sins of the people so they could enjoy reconciliation among the presence of God and the God's glory could dwell in the tabernacle, which later became known as the temple. temple. And so God is blessing these people that Paul's talking about, his brethren, his race, with this great gift through covenants, through promises, through the glory of God dwelling among them, made possible through sacrificial system. And all of this 
Paul says in Galatians was to tutor them. Galatians 3.23 was to tutor them to Christ. Paul says, but before faith came, referring, meaning the object of faith, Jesus. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. Being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed, meaning Christ. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. And so Paul says in Galatians the same things he's saying here. I am grieving deeply because they, the, my brothers in my race, had so many advantages that God was doing in them as a part of leading them to faith in the one who fulfilled all of those great blessings. And yet they missed it. They rejected him. And Paul is broken over their rejection. So he mentions them. He says adoption as sons. Israel in the scriptures is called God's son. And this should have prepared them for faith in the son of God. Who he says enables them to cry out Abba father. And yet they missed it. He says they had the divine glory. God's visible glory was with them. In the cloud leading them out of bondage in the cloud of glory that descended upon the place of worship, the tabernacle, which was a portable place of worship, which later was a permanent place called the temple. This should have prepared them to see that Jesus is the glory of God among us, as John says in John 1.14. They had the covenants And each of the covenants, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and the covenant with David, God promised to send the Messiah who would ultimately fulfill all that the covenants promised. That he was the fulfillment of all the covenants. They had the law as a part of that. If they understood the law, they would see that they could not merit salvation, but that they could only be declared righteous by the one, Jesus, who fulfilled the law's requirements. They were given a sacrificial system with a priest and the blood sacrifice of an innocent lamb. If they understood that, they should have seen that Jesus is the great high priest who offered his own perfect blood as the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of God, the sins of man, so that they might be reconciled to God. They had the temple worship. They had the promises, the promises of the Jewish scriptures over and over and over foretold the coming of the promised seed of Abraham who would be their savior. They had the patriarchs. The writer of Hebrews, when we studied Hebrews, went person by person by person, just walking through the scriptures and saying, you see Moses, Jesus is the great Moses. You see Joshua, he's the great Joshua. You see all these great blessings. Jesus is foreshadowed in all of their lives. Everything they did and said is ultimately perfectly fulfilled. King David, it is fulfilled. The great king is Jesus. All of the forefathers pointed to faith in Jesus. And the Christ. When God took on flesh, he took on a race. He chose the Jewish race. Our Messiah is a Jew. And they missed it for the most part. So Paul 
is broken. He's grieving. How sad. With every great advantage they had, his grief goes deeper and deeper over their unbelief. I ask you, how many advantages do we have? We live in a country where it's a Christian country, but hey, it's not illegal yet. We have churches all over the place. Buildings, resources. You have probably, you yourself, were probably dedicated or baptized in some Christian ceremony as a baby. You probably have multiple copies of the Word of God at your disposal. If not in print, you have unlimited access on the internet. You have got so many advantages. A family most likely who pointed you at some form towards Christianity, towards Christ. You might have even be a member of a physical group, physical membership in a physical body that has a physical covenant and physical classrooms that you participate in, where you hear the scriptures taught, and you may even memorize scriptures. You may be even be a Bible teacher. And what Paul has been saying is none of that makes you righteous with God. Don't miss the point. Jesus Christ is the great divider of humanity. What they did, this mass group of population, this Jews by birth, when they saw Christ, what they did with him was the dividing factor. It's the revealer of who they really are. In the beginning of Romans, Paul was speaking about Jews and he says, listen, You Jews, you who call yourself Jews, implying that many of them think that that's like us. 98% of Shreveport call themselves Christian. Number one in the country, which has to mean number one in the world. Number one in the world. People here call ourselves Christian. And Paul is saying, all you Jews who call yourself Jews, all of Israel who call yourself the Israelites, the people of God, you Christians who call yourself the people of God, outwardly is not what makes you a person of God. It's an inward transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit through your faith union with God in flesh, Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a genuine person of God, a genuine Christian. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, oh, you've got so many blessings, but you've worshipped the blessings instead of the one to whom the blessing points. Jesus Christ. Please, hear Paul's warning. A Jew is not a Jew who is one outwardly because of circumcision, he says. A Jew is one inwardly who has had his heart circumcised by the Spirit of God. That's our message today. A Christian 
is not a Christian who is one outwardly by baptism or by the Lord's Supper or by membership in a physical membership in a, in a church, signing a paper document, attendance, giving. All these things do not make you a Christian. Only your faith union in Christ, which leads by the Holy Spirit of an inward transformation by the Holy Spirit. That's what a true Christian is. I grieve over the fact that so many in Shreveport don't understand what it means to be a Christian. We've inoculated our culture with church. We've built up a resistance to the true healing one with church and with religion. Religion doesn't save. Religion is what saved people should do. So I challenge you to think about your own life. Are you truly born again by your faith in Jesus Christ? Don't rely on the trappings of religion to be made right with God. That's not the gospel. You've been born into a Christian family. Praise the Lord. You have unlimited copies of the word of God. Praise the Lord. You're physically a member of a church. Praise the Lord. You've been baptized in the water. Praise the Lord. You've read the scriptures. You've memorized scriptures. You've taught scriptures. Praise the Lord. All of those are great gifts from God. All of those were to point you to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that everyone here does serious heart business and looks at their heart. Looks for an inward transformation by the Holy Spirit upon faith only in Jesus Christ. Doesn't look for simple outward manifestations, but looks first of all for the basis of their hope. The basis being faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we, upon answering that question for ourselves, will do business with you today. And if, if there is no faith, may we be drawn to trust you right now to say, Lord, yes, I want my hope to be based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. And I pray that we as a body of people will understand that God grieves over unbelief. That no view of a sovereign God should ever diminish the fact that God grieves over unbelief. That Paul's life is defined by taking the gospel to unbelievers. That Paul's letter was written to humble us and to move us and unite us in the gospel. To take the gospel to unbelievers. Lord, may we be motivated to pray and to never stop praying and to share and to never stop sharing the gospel so that nobody falls short of all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. Lord, make it be true in this place. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.